Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, good morning again, Glory Church family. It is so good to have you. Maybe you started watching during the worship this morning. If so, my name is Greg McKinney, and my wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory, and we have tried to treat this place like a home. A small groups, thank you so much for, for joining in together. Uh, we have been online for now, uh, what, a month and a half, and I am so thankful for those of you who have stuck with your community. But as you've heard already, today is Palm Sunday, the very beginning of Holy Week. And I don't know if you're familiar with what Holy Week is, but it is the stretch of time that resides before Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday is coming up fast. But as we sit into today, I am so excited. The stretch of of the time that we have from today to Sunday, though it it feels very short, there is so much emotion and truth that Jesus communicated in it. And so I'm excited to sit with you today. If I was able to do a poll, I would have loved to do this, but I have a question for you about Palm Sunday, and I would just love for you to either comment down below, right where you're at, maybe you're watching at home on Facebook, or just shout it out in your small group, all right? But I would just love to know everything you know about Palm Sunday. What are the things that you know? Maybe some of you are very unfamiliar with this. You've heard about Easter, you know Good Friday, but you know nothing about Palm Sunday. That's okay, write that down or tell people that. Maybe you know about the palm branches being laid down as Jesus enters in the city. Maybe you know uh, what he wrote on. Maybe some of you know just what people were chanting. Whatever it may be, let us know, and I'd love to engage in you on that because this morning, if I can be honest, I am uh, I'm excited because it's going to stretch our understanding of Palm Sunday this morning. It's not just this beautiful time of a triumphant entrance into the city, but there's so much more that God has for us today. In fact, the song that, that Gabby just led, Hosanna, it speaks Hosanna, Hosanna, right? And that, that's a chant that the people are about to say today in the text, but The song also says, uh, break my heart for what breaks yours. And though though Hosanna was chanted on Palm Sunday long before, and though people were celebrating and the king was exalted, the scripture said that Jesus, he actually wept on Palm Sunday. If we're going to ask God to break our heart for what breaks his, then we need to change the way that we view Palm Sunday because it's not just this triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. It is a day when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. In fact, there are only three times in Scripture, and maybe that amazed you. Maybe you've never heard of that, but there's only three times where Scripture says that Jesus weeps. This time, and then a time before that when when his, his friend Lazarus dies, and then Hebrews writes that the author Hebrews says that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cries in petition for us. And so three times, but one of them is today. And I, I am just amazed at how many of us just go beyond Palm Sunday, forgetting the power of his heartbreaking. 
Jesus's heart broke today. And so we're going to lean in on that a little bit this morning. If you'll do me the honor, we're going to talk about what real praise is. Maybe you sang those, song, those songs earlier and you had a worshipful moment. Good. We are about to talk through this this morning about what praise really is and honestly the type of praise that maybe we sink into in our Christian life that Jesus was weeping over. I hope that perks your interest a little bit because today is a powerful day. I mean, the joy and victory of Easter would never have happened if the domino of Palm Sunday was not pushed down. And we will get into there, but Jesus set in motion a few things today that will lead him to the cross and the resurrection. And so we are going to be opening up to Matthew chapter 21. If you have a printed Bible, you can hold your thumb there while we also turn to Luke Uh, 19 and every single one of the Gospels actually writes about Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday but we're gonna be reading Matthew and Luke's version of it because I think it's going to be very powerful glory family if I can as before we get into this just pray God, I just lift up the people watching this. I lift up the people where they're at listening to this. God, take every one of our expectations or our previous understanding of Palm Sunday and allow it to be handed over to you to mold. God, I know that you are going to teach us today because this day was not just this triumphant entrance into a city. It was a day where you mourned over a city. So God, I pray that we see that clearly, that you teach us through it, and that you prepare our hearts each and every day this week for the victory that comes on Easter Sunday. We love you, Jesus, and in your name, amen. So Matthew 21 is one of them, and we will start right now, though, in Luke 19. It says that Jesus went on ahead, and this is verse 28, going up to Jerusalem. And it says that when he had come near Bethage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead of him. And he said, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter, you will find a donkey that has never been ridden and it's been tied. So untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say the Lord needs it. And so those who were sent departed and found the donkey as he had told them. And as they were untying it, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. And so then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. So uh, if I can, like, let's just paint the picture of this. Jesus has now had a new donkey. He's got a donkey and a colt, actually, two animals, Matthew will say. And they are now ready to enter into Jerusalem. And yes, glory family, he's riding on a donkey. Now, in our westernized mind, modern mind, we're like, okay, Jesus, like you could have chose a stallion, but I get it. I, I, I get it. You want to ride in a donkey and maybe we would twist that to see uh, maybe he's going to be a servant and he wants to ride in a, you know, an unnoticed way into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's just like our servant savior, we could say in our westernized culture, just like our servant savior to, to just not want any fame or glory in his actions. Okay, Jesus, you ride on the donkey. You see, when I was in high school, my first car ever given to me uh, was a Hyundai Accent. And if you know anything about cars, um, this is the smallest car known to man, in my opinion. It was this white little car. I mean, it was one of those cars that are four doors, but you're like, do you really need four doors for that? 
And I remember just, I'm, in, I'm a six foot tall guy and I remember driving everywhere in it. You wanna talk about humbling is driving in a tiny little car as a six foot high school guy and you're like trying to be confident in it. And so we can very easily say, okay, Jesus is driving into Jerusalem in a Hyundai accent. What a guy. I, I resonate with that. But that is nowhere close to the statement that Jesus is making. It is not about this, this false sense of humility or him being a servant today. It has nothing to do with him being a nobody. It has everything with him being a king. In fact, there is a Roman tradition and Roman culture, uh, and do remember that J Jerusalem at this time, sadly, is under Roman authority. And so in the city would be Roman guard after Roman guard. And Roman culture states that uh, a soldier, when they were victorious in war, they would come back into the city riding on a donkey. They would go out to war on a stallion and they would come back as a hero riding on a donkey. And so here is Jesus, a man who by this time in scripture has a warrant out for his arrest. He has angered every government official. He, people want him un, to be uh, tried and they want him imprisoned. They want him silenced. I mean, for the Romans, uh, Jesus has caused too much of a crowd, a disruption, and they want him dealt with. And now he's coming into one of their territories riding on a donkey like a victor, like a hero, the audacity Jesus has. We say, oh Jesus, you're humble, but to their day and age, we'd say, who are you to think that you can do this? But it's not just the Romans Jesus is actually offending today. He, he also offends the Jewish leaders. I mean, Matthew writes this, that all of this took place in Matthew uh, 21, verse 4. All of this, him riding on a donkey, took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming. Look, he's humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey to the Jewish leaders the religious leaders of the day, the, the uh, people who ruled in the temple of Jerusalem. I mean, they are ready to be done with this man, Jesus. He has hidden from them for, for months now, and they are ready to silence him, to stop his teaching. And now he's coming into their city, riding on a donkey, which is not a humble thing in our Western mind. He's riding on a donkey as the Messiah. Like Jesus is pushing all kinds of buttons in today, and it is powerful. You, you may say that is praiseworthy and everything, but remember the countenance on Jesus's face is of mourning, and we will get there. But it is powerful. He knows the polarizing response that is going to come from today. In fact, it is the very action that will push down the domino effect that will lead to Friday's crucifixion, and all of it is happening right now, Glory Family. Palm Sunday. Sunday. Jesus knew that this wasn't false, false humility that I'm working with today while I ride this donkey. No, it's a fulfillment. It's obedience. For the King is near. The Messiah is coming. And so the story continues in Luke. It says that as he rode along, people kept spreading their, their cloaks on the road. In other words, they were making a, a pathway for him so that he didn't have to walk on the dirt. He was walking on a, on a red carpet. I mean, this was a huge scene. 
And verse 37 says, Now as he was approaching on the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples became, began praising God joyfully with this loud voice for all of the deeds that he had powerfully done, that they had seen. And they were saying, chanting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Matthew says that the disciples were actually shouting. I mean, can you imagine the scene? They're shouting and they're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord and Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Matthew says that when he entered into Jerusalem, are you ready for this? When he entered into Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? Some were saying, who does this man think he is? Others were saying, who is this that I may join in? Others were saying, who is this so that we can charge him? And all of this turmoil was happening and the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. What a powerful experience wrapped up in one day called Palm Sunday. I mean, people were taking off their cloaks. In other words, they were saying, what separates me from them? I mean, all of my worth and money, this would show my, my, my title. I'm laying it down so that you don't have to walk on the dirt. It's like a red carpet affair, this, the chance, the excitement, the worship. They honored him, they praised him. It is this beautiful scene that was made. But it's so interesting that when Jesus moves into something, that, that, that things tend to fall in place. I mean, have you ever noticed this, that when God moves, people move, and they start showing their true colors, right? When God moves into a place, maybe when he moved into your life, the people around you started showing their true colors. I mean, people choose sides when Jesus enters, and it's exactly what is happening in this story. Some were moved in wonder, in awe, and in genuine worship. Others were moved into this confident obedience to be like, I've never met this man, but here is my cloak. Walk over it. Others were moved in laughter and mockery. Some were pointing at the Jews and just saying how, how dumb and worthless. This is not your Messiah. Some were joking and laughing. Others were moved into excitement from what may come. Some Jews were banking on Jesus to lead them from away from Rome. Like this was their ticket out of, of the Roman uh, leadership, the Roman guard over them. And others were moved completely into envy, anger, rage, uh, indignation. You see, Jesus knows that the path of eternal life, the path of holiness, the path to the cross and the resurrection, that that way will inevitably bring about all those reactions. And I think we've got to realize this. Like, if I can just pause and lean in on that, we have to realize that as people of God, People who now walk as Jesus walks. When we enter into a place, we now are the hands and feet of our king. And when he moves, people fall into place. And that's the same thing that's going to happen in our lives, is that as we walk through the, the way of eternal life, the way of holiness, as we live and, and die to ourselves, like the scriptures say, uh, people will have every kind of, of reaction and we have to stop being timid against that 
Jesus doesn't come into Jerusalem with this humble, timid self. He comes in boldly proclaiming who he is. He's unashamed of the tension it's going to bring. What if you were like that about your job? He's unashamed of the, of the, the issues that are going to arise because he's claiming that he is the Messiah. He's unashamed of, of the anger, the, the confusion that it's going to bring, and the taunts and the lies. He doesn't care what they're going to do to him because he knows that this is obedience. I think we could do a lot of learning from Jesus's confidence in this. He's not riding in town on a Hyundai accent. He's coming, claiming to be the king over Rome, the hero in the story, and the Messiah to the Jews. This is a powerful thing. I mean, I want that kind of boldness, but it's interesting. I mean, I literally could teach from that point of view, just saying, be bold, glory family. We could pray and call it done, but that isn't the essence of the story because I could very easily point to all of the, the actions and maybe the excitement, the joy on everyone else's face in the crowd, but that's not the face we want to concentrate on. Because I can imagine the disciples are all, uh, they're elated, they're excited. This is my rabbi who I've known as Messiah. And finally, we're showing the world. Finally, we're showing Rome who he is. Everything's happening. This is what I'm here for. And we could pause and see the, like a, like a, a snapshot photo of Palm Sunday, people with their hands up, up praising. And we could say that's the day. But that's not the full picture because though some were excited and elated, the face of our Savior was of broken-hearted pain. In fact, Luke continues literally right after this and says that as Jesus came near and saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. He wept. His heart was broken. And he said, if you, even you, Jerusalem had only recognized on this day the things that make way for peace. In other words, I am here to bring in peace, but you're thinking I'm going to cause a war with the Romans and the war is going to give you freedom. No, I'm causing peace. I'm going to die. No, no bloodshed has to happen with the Romans to give you freedom. It's my bloodshed. And you see, Jesus is bringing peace, but the scriptures say, but now it's all hidden from your eyes and he's weeping because they're missing it. They may be chanting Hosanna now, but they're missing it. It's because they have this means to this mistaken end. They're not praising him. They're praising a version of him. And so he continues and said, instead, the days are going to come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you, and they will hem you on every side. In Jerusalem, they will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. You want to talk about some sadness. Jesus knows the future of Jerusalem. In fact, in just a few decades after this moment, historically, Jerusalem is plummaged. Like it is destroyed. I mean, when he says there's no stone on top of another, he means it. The whole temple at Jerusalem will be destroyed and 600,000 Jews will die. That's men, women, and children. And it's all because the peace that Jesus is bringing, they are blind of. So they keep living in their life, their pain, their, their, their destruction, and soon it will be a literal one. You see, it's very powerful. The same crowd that was chanting Hosanna today 
will be the one chanting crucify him on Friday morning. Did you hear that? Like that's the sadness. That's why Jesus is weeping. He knows that everything they're speaking today, though it seems in a snapshot, like a powerful moment, he knows that it's all for naught for many of them, that they're still going to say crucify him in just what, four days. And then they're going to continue denying him and they're going to teach their children to deny him. And when Jesus enters, people are going to respond accordingly. And God, his heart breaks when people go to unbelief. His heart breaks. And maybe you say, okay, Pastor Greg, like I can see the, the Pharisees acting like that, but how can this crowd who is chanting Hosanna today, how could they be led astray so quickly? Like why? Why is he weeping over everyone? Like well, weren't some of them good? And my answer is yes, but overwhelmingly so. Today teaches us something. That genuine worship, I mean, it's not this one-time occurrence. We love to take pictures of our faith-filled actions and try to like assign that to everything. It's like an Instagram account. Like, it's, life is not as pretty as that. And life is not as holy as our one-time actions of holiness. But instead, holiness is this way of life. Worship is not found in one-time occurrences of chanting Hosanna to a God you think is going to rescue you from the government. No, worship is, is constantly a lifestyle of believing that my God is real. Regardless of what he does for me, he's real. You see, the praise of a crowd does not determine the character of the individual. And this is something that we need to lean into as a church. The most damaging thing we can do come this next Sunday, when we get to worship back and together, like back together, is to take for granted the praises of the crowd and to believe that we can sink in and never, never worry about the condition of our own heart, as if God does not notice it, as if it doesn't matter. You see, God cared way less about the government that was over them, Rome. He cared way more about their heart than that. He cared way less about it. He could have, he could have des destroyed Rome a long ago. Jesus could have come in as that champion king, but he cared about the individual. That's why he's there. And so the crowd, the praises of a crowd, it does not in any way determine the character of an individual. And many of their character, their hearts were led astray. In fact, for many of the crowd, they were doing something that we can fall into. They were doing a conditional praise. You want to write that down? Like, let it sit. Do I conditionally praise God? A conditional praise is when you praise him when your conditions are in your favor. When life is going well, when things are, are, are driving smoothly, when he is in a place where you think he can grant you the provisions you want. I mean, for the Jews, here is the Messiah that people are claiming him as that. And here he is. I mean, I want to be on the right side of things for if he really destroys Rome. I mean, it was in my favor that day to lay down my cloak. It was in my favor that day to join the crowd and praising. You see, con conditional praise will always be done when we're in the favor of doing it, when our life is good and going well, or when we are expecting God to do something for us. You see, they thought if this is the Messiah, I want in on that. Conditional praise is a praise to God when we want something from him. Did you get that? It's, it's not a praise for who he is. It's a praise for what we want from him. And that is why his heart is breaking. 
That's why Jesus goes and weeps over Jerusalem because he knows he, they want something from God but are unwilling to give God their hearts. The praises of a crowd does nothing to showcase the character of the individual. And we have to see that so often we dive into this too, but think through the problem with conditional praises is that too quickly they fade, right? Too quickly uh, real life happens and real life is not always favorable, right? So really quickly day four is going to happen and the man that you claimed as the Messiah is going to be on trial and he hasn't yet showed his power over the Romans and so you're starting to doubt and as doubt fills your heart you feel very unfavorable in your actions and your feelings are not good and so that that praise that was conditional is now gone. I mean it's hard to praise a a guy when he's, his name is being tainted, right, by everyone around you. It's hard to praise a God when it feels like he is not doing anything, when it's, he's a weak God. I mean, I think through all of the crowd, I mean, when Jesus' name is getting tarnished, why would they speak up? When his integrity is now being questioned and they have no faith in him as the Messiah, of course they are going to be silenced. When his weakness is being shown, when he's not the king they thought of him as, of course their praise would be faded. I can imagine some of them being like, I'm glad I didn't put out my cloak. I mean, I was there, I was chanting it, but I didn't put out the cloak like they did. That's embarrassing that they claimed him as the Messiah. He is a fraud. You see, conditional praise will keep you silent when unfavorable outcomes occur. And this is the most saddest thing. Glory Church, our city will not be changed if we continue to worship in a conditional way. When we only worship him in, in spirit and truth when our life is going well. Like that's not really in spirit and truth. And the most damaging thing is that then when unfavorable things happen in our life, we keep silent. We keep silent while the world screams, crucify him. And why? It's because conditional praise is a misguided praise. They believe this guy is our ticket out of Rome. It's out of our ticket out of Rome. This is it. Uh, he is bringing the revolution that we wanted. He, he is bringing revolution. And when misguided, we sing to the Lord for what we think he will bring. We, seem to, we sing to the Lord, we can even say, of our own making. The Lord who's going to get us the job we want. The Lord who's going to get us that, that, that payment that we want. The Lord who's going to help us out of that bad decision. The Lord who's going to, to get us that outcome. And we act like he's this genie in a bottle to get us what we want. Conditional praise is a misguided one. We think that God is for us to get our pleasure instead of just believing that he is worthy to be praised in and of himself. We cannot be conditional praisers. In glory family, it's very interesting. Misguided praises, they will misguide praises. And that might sound strange. Read it, like soak in when someone is misguidedly praising God and they think, I'm going to get something out of God. I'm going to teach this, this, uh, you know, you're blessed when you do this and, and the prosperity gospel. What ends up happening is you begin to misguide the praises of others. And that is why Jesus is weeping. He's looking at a city who's going to call him the Messiah, yet tarnish his name in just four days. And what's going to happen is even after he defeats death on their behalf, 
Gentiles among Gentiles are going to be flooded into the family of God, but the Jews are going to keep misguiding the praises of the people. And as families and families come and go, they're going to teach this way of life. We have to guard our rejoicing. It has to be in the trials and in the pain and in the good. You see, our, our, um, our very conditional praises, they have to move into constant praises. It's the same way on the opposite side. Just how misguided praises will misguide the praises. Uh, genuine praises will teach genuine praises. And that's why Paul, a man who is found in uh, jail, in prison, was writing to the church at Philippi and was saying, in my suffering, my God's word has been known more. In fact, while I've been here, the Roman guard all around me have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And as he is rejoicing through this text, through that book to the Philippian church, as he is rejoicing through his sorrows, he's teaching them to truly rejoice. That it's not based on our condition. It is based on him who is able. It is based on how worthy God is regardless. And this is something that Palm Sunday teaches us, is that though the crowd may chant Hosanna today, it it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with this constant praise of the few that will stick with him through Friday. It's very beautiful. I mean, if I can allow you to teach, to see this from a different perspective, uh, Good Friday is coming fast. And one of the most heartbreaking things about Good Friday, though, yes, Jesus dies and that's heartbreaking, but from the outsider perspective, one of the most heartbreaking things from an outsider's perspective is the view that non-believers had of Jesus that day because of the the lack of faith and the lack of community shown by his people. In fact, think about this. I mean, I, I imagine the average Gentile who's now watched this whole week play out. He sees today the, the Jewish people falling on their knees, chanting Hosanna, but he sees the same people now tarnish and, and, and completely spit on the name of that Jesus just four days later. It destroys the perspective of God for every non-believer when a godly person rejoices in, in Jesus on Sunday, but then tarnishes his name on a Friday night. Do you, do you understand this? It is the most disheartening thing about Good Friday is that the people that should be nearest to God, his people, the Jews, are the ones screaming, crucify him, while everyone else on the outside thinks that he's a fraud because of it. It is so sad, the days that are coming. But God knows something powerful. It is that when the constant praises of his people are constantly praising life change happens. Because though we can see and like to pinpoint the crowd and how they're turning away of Jesus, there are a few, there are a few good disciples, men and women of the faith who have trekked with every single day the presence of their Messiah and have believed him to be so. We're about to start a journey this week on those real believers and how they journeyed through because there are people who put their cloak down for Jesus to walk on and who meant it. 
They might not be the crowd that we see chanting, crucify him. They might not be the ones who, who are getting the bad rep, but they are the ones who constantly stood beside Jesus as he walks toward the cross. In fact, I want to focus not on the wayward crowd, but those who laid down their lives directly beside of him. The, the, the small disciples that would be on trial because Jesus was on trial. The disciples who walked with him when he was getting beaten. The disciples, the men who carried the cross with him. That, that's a story. Did you know that a guy helped carry the cross? There are small disciples. It may not be the crowd, but there are people who the intention of their heart showcased a constant rejoice. They gave him water when he needed water. They, they, they tended his wounds as he was on the cross. They stood beside him weeping as he wept. They, they, they believed, they rejoiced in a God who knew what he was doing. They trusted in a savior who was still the king even though he was being beaten by the government. There are so many people who kept the faith during this time and that's the people that I wanna mirror our life with, Glory Family. The people who Paul says rejoice, even in our suffering we rejoice because Christ's name is going to be made known as we are in our, our sufferings, we boast all the more in it, that his power may be seen. And there are disciples who do that in the story. There are disciples who are going to do that this week with Jesus, who are going to take and bandage and bury his body so that it could be honored. Their disciples who are going to go and see him, the risen Savior, and are going to be elated because he was who they believed him to be. They didn't have a conditional praise. They had a constant praise. And so as we end this morning, I just want to encourage you in the confusion we press in. We believe that our God is able. That literally allows us to say that even in the darkest of days, which Good Friday times are coming, God, I will believe that you know what you're doing. That's how we constantly praise. Even when life is unfavorable for me, I will still believe because it's not about me, Jesus. Even in the unfavorable, I will know that you are in charge. You know what you're doing. And that constant praise is like a wildfire. In fact, if I can show you something powerful, uh, the, the days leading after the resurrection is some of the most beautiful in history. I mean, Gentiles are coming to faith. People who are far from God are being brought in close. I mean, acts happens and thousands come to know Jesus. And the reason is not just because Jesus teaches them, but it's because the constant praise of the few start interacting and changing the lives of many. And that's what I want to speak over us as a church. We have to move away from conditional praises and into, much like the disciples did, this faith that is real, that even in the unfavorable, I'm going to speak of a God who died and was resurrected, who defeated death. And people want in on that. I cannot imagine the number of non-believers who will want in on the praises that are genuine that you start speaking when they start seeing that you handle the unfavorable parts of life with such grace and obedience. You see, when that happens, people fall into place and you will be shocked by the number of people who want in on the life, the hope that you have. This is what I want to be as a church, is a church that constantly praises. So honestly, next Sunday, we will be back together. I mean, we haven't got to worship together in a month and a half, but I'm going to challenge you, do not conditionally praise that day. 
Don't come in just sinking into a crowd so that you can be unseen. No, stand up and worship a God who is victorious this Sunday. Bring in non-believers that they can be guided by your well-praised life, by your life that is worshiping the Son of God, Hosanna in the highest. That is what I, what I commission you to do, what I challenge you to do as a church family. But as we end this morning, I'm going to pray for us. And then I want you to take ownership of your small group or your time with your family and talk through this together. Let's pray. God, where we are right now on Palm Sunday, let us sit in the, the complete uh, adoration that the disciples, the true disciples had of you walking into the holy city of Jerusalem. They knew this is it. This is the pinnacle. They didn't know what you were going to do. But when they cried Hosanna and truly meant it, you knew the salvation that you are bringing is not for the job. It's not for the government to end. It is for their souls to be saved. And so, God, I pray that we can get alongside of the few that day who had constant and genuine worship. God, I pray that you forgive me of every time that I've had conditional praises, every time that an unfavorable act or an unfavorable time has caused, had caused me to be angry or to showcase something else, an evil thing. The times when I've gotten mad at people, when I've showed this unrepentant heart. And so God, forgive me of all those times that I can be a man who constantly praises you, who says today is the day that the Lord has made, so I will rejoice and be glad in it. And God, I am so excited and, and cannot wait to see what you do in the coming weeks. I pray that we could be a church that constantly praises you in the good and the bad, for you are worthy of it all. In your name and for your glory, amen. And Glory family, as we end this morning, I want to remind you of tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m. We are meeting here at the Glory Church offices for day two of Holy Week, all right? And I'm, I'm so excited. It is going to be Fig Monday. And let that spark, uh, pique your interest. Fig Monday, we're diving in tomorrow. Dalton Bradley, our kids and small group director, will be teaching us tomorrow. And also, this is your powerful, this is like your time to powerfully dive in to um, giving as a church. Uh, sometimes we do this at the beginning of the service, but here I am right now, we're doing it at the end. Um, this is a time where you can dive in and, and invest in what God is doing here. For those who've been following along, we are just under $2,000 from our goal. And this is our last Sunday in March. So some of you have yet to give. Uh, and that, well, let's just be honest, you, you haven't yet given to, to this church. And though you've been a part of it for a while, my hope is that you see that, that God desires for us to give because he gave so much to us. And it's not this, uh, this unwarranted blind giving, but you know, I mean, many of you, you know the ministry that we do here at Glory Church. And our tithe is literally the least we can do to support it. So I'm so excited to see what is going to come from it. Maybe you can give for your first time today. You can either text to give. You can do through Cash App or Venmo. You can set up a reoccurring gift. There's so many ways that you can get involved today. And I just encourage you to do so. But Glory Family, as a whole, I love you so much, and I cannot wait to worship with you next Sunday at Easter Sunday at the park. Y'all have a great week, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. 
For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.